We're starting a series this morning uh, that's going to go on for several weeks where we're looking at the Gospel of Matthew. There are four, um, four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are each distinct, written by different authors to a different culture group. And so you can see that emphasis in the way they tell the stories that Jesus told, the parables, the, the uh, circumstances that took place. You can see that flavor in what they're writing because they're trying to reach a certain people group within their culture. So we're looking at Matthew. Matthew's emphasis was a letter to the Jews to try to persuade them that Jesus is the king of the Jews. He is coming uh, to, to be the Messiah that the Jews had long awaited for. He is going to uh, uh, one day overthrow the Roman Empire. He's going to establish, uh, reestablish a kingdom like David had in the glory days. And so he's writing to persuade them from that perspective. So each of the stories that we're going to look at over the next weeks has to do with a king or a kingdom. That terminology is in there, so we need to kind of think that way. Because when you and I stepped into the spiritual realm, when we became born again, when we invited the Holy Spirit to come in, we stepped into the king's domain, which is what, where kingdom comes from, the king's domain. We stepped into the domain, the realm, the territory of the king of kings, Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual domain. But there are some rules that fit in the kingdom of God that don't relate elsewhere. So we're going to uh, target that. We're going to try to stretch ourselves and make ourselves grow. Okay, here's the story, Matthew chapter 8. And I'm gonna kind of, we're going to kind of work through this story verse by verse. And then I've got some application. We're going to start in verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, which was a village where he often stayed up, up in uh, the north. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. So we need to understand what a centurion is. A centurion is a Roman officer serving the Roman Empire. A centurion was a, uh, like a captain in the military today. He oversaw men, like around 100 men. He had officers over him, and he had soldiers under him. There are five centurions uh, that we find in the New Testament. This is the first of the five. Each of them were, were leaders. They were independent. They handled themselves. And with this exception, we never again hearing a centurion asking for any kind of help. He's got soldiers on staff that at uh, to keep their lives, to keep their lives, they've got to obey and follow rules, no matter how dangerous it gets. He doesn't need to ask for help, right? 
Centurions didn't do that. I mean, that would be a show of weakness. You just, when you're a military leader, you don't show weakness to people. The centurion is in an occupied territory. When you're, when you're in an occupied territory, the residents really wish you weren't there. They would prefer to have their own government, their own police staff. They would prefer to have that. They don't really like having Romans around, especially the centurions, because they tend to intimidate and bully people. So they didn't like that. Now this Roman centurion comes to Jesus, who's a Jewish minister, and he asks him for help. Unheard of. He just don't do that. But he's got a kind of help that his soldiers in the rank and file can't help. He has a servant. Probably would be better translated a slave. Whose sole responsibility is to do whatever the centurion wants. He, he's the one that polishes the sandals. He's the one that, that cleans things up to make sure the centurion always looks like an official officer. And he is sick, paralyzed, cannot get up. Now, I don't know if this Roman centurion really cared about his servant or if he just wants to get his servant back on his feet so he'll do what he's supposed to do. We don't understand the motivation, but he went way out of his way to come to look up Jesus and humble himself and ask for help. That's verse 8. Uh, verse, actually, that's 5 and 6. Let's go to verse 7. The next thing I want us to see. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? Notice Jesus doesn't tell the Roman centurion what he's going to do for him. He asks for clarification on what the Roman officer is asking of him. I found it very helpful to ask people when I'm praying for them, how do you want me to pray? Because people are forced to think it through, verbalize it, put it in words, and express what they're really expecting. Where is their faith? Where is their faith level? Many times, while I'm praying to the Lord and asking Him for some kind of intervention, the Lord will help me see, well, that, that was a selfish prayer. I better reword that. I want God to do it, but I better not tell Him why I want Him to do it, because it looks all about me. So Jesus asked for clarification. Shall I come? Because this is a tall order for a Roman centurion who is a Gentile to ask a Jewish minister to come into his house. That's defiled territory. A righteous Jew would never go into the home of a Gentile. Just wouldn't do it. And Jesus sounds like he's offering to come to the man's house and heal his servant. So Jesus is saying, what do you really want? We pick up the story in verse 8. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve 
to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. I love it. He said, I don't deserve to have you come to my house. We call that humility. Maybe he understood the Jewish uh, law that righteous people didn't enter into the home of, a, of an unrighteous person. Maybe he understood that because if you're going to be effective as a Roman officer in an occupied territory, you need to understand the culture that you're dealing with. Otherwise, you're going to be more of a problem than a solution. Maybe he understood that. Maybe he just flat out humble and wants to submit to Jesus, who's the one who's got the power to heal his servant. He obviously believes that or he wouldn't be asking. Then we go to verse 8. Excuse me, verse 9. Jesus replies, or excuse me, the centurion replies and says, For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. So here we have the Roman centurion, this career military person who understands military structure. Here we have him explaining his concept of authority structure. He's saying, I'm an officer, and I have soldiers under me, and I tell them to go over there, and they do it. I tell them to go do this, go do that, and they do what I tell them to do. That's the way the military's set up. We've got a loosey-goosey system of that where you work. Somebody's the, somebody's the boss, somebody else is the overseer like the foreman, and then somebody else is the one doing whatever you do where you work. We understand that. But we're kind of loosey-goosey in our culture because we like unions. We like to defend the people at the bottom. But I want us to see how the centurion sees it because the military goes to the extreme on this. Because the private is expected to lay his life down at whatever the captain tells him to do, even if it's a dumb idea. In combat, you better just follow the rules. You can't have all these independent people thinking independently. You've got to have a common mission you're, you're going to accomplish. And he sees that. Where did his authority come from to tell these privates to go do this and go do that? His authority comes from up above. You see, he's got, I don't know what they called ranks in the Roman Empire, but he's got majors and colonels and generals over him. And they tell him what to do, so he gets everybody under him together, and they do it. And they, they function together in unity. So the Roman soldier is not thinking spiritually. He's thinking logically, the way his world works. But he is addressing the issue of Jesus saying, shall I come to your house and heal him? <coughs> And he said, I don't deserve to have you come to my house. Just say the word. Just speak it. Just declare it. If you will declare it, Lord, I believe it will be done. And then he illustrates the, 
why he thinks that will be? By his own example. There are people that tell me what to do, and I do it. I lay my wife, my life down, not my wife, but my life down <laughs> to, get, to get it accomplished. You understand this? He's applying it to spiritual things. We can have authority if we're under authority. If we're not under God's authority, you can pray and pray and pray all you want. You're not going to get an answer. The power comes from being under authority. To say I am under authority means I am in submission to the people that oversee me. To say I have soldiers under me means I am taking responsibility. So he takes responsibility and he carries it out, even sometimes at great cost. So where does the authority that the majors and colonels and generals and admirals have, where does that come from? It comes from the king. It's the kingdom, the king's domain. If you and I have stepped into the king's domain, we need to think that way. We need to see that way. We need to pray that way, behave that way, act that way, decide that way. I'm a part of the kingdom, and I'm under authority, therefore I have authority. Verse 10, Jesus' response to that. It says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed And said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. There wasn't a whole lot that amazed Jesus. He knew what he was getting into when he came down here to this planet. He knew we were fallen. He knew it was a cursed planet. Not much surprised him. But to hear a Gentile who's got a life pretty well made to hear him talk like he's doing about authority and saying just speak the word Jesus just speak it out whatever you say I'll believe it it'll be done that amazed Jesus he couldn't find that among his disciples he had to say to his disciples oh ye of little faith How long am I going to have to put up with you? Little faith. But a a Gentile comes in and he says, this is great faith. And it amazed Jesus that a human being would have that level of faith. Verses 11 and 12. Jesus said, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He gives us another contrast here. He says, many, many, I'm glad it's many. Many are going to come from the east and the west. In other words, from outside the kingdom. They're going to come from all directions, from outside the kingdom, and take their place along with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the other founders of the faith. 
But the subjects, the residents, people who were born into the kingdom are going to be evicted. They're going to be cast out. He's telling this story as a follow-up to the faith this, this Roman had. In other words, if you were just born to Christian parents, and they raised you in Sunday school and church, and you just keep going all your life, but you never submit to the king's authority... It's like you don't have, you're not a part of the kingdom. Out you go. But Jesus said, there's going to be a whole lot of people. That's what many means. Coming from the east. What's that? What, this the east. I get, I get turned around since our building's on an angle. The east and the west. Going to bring them in. That's me. A grace convert, someone who deserves judgment, and God brought me in, forgave my sin, put his Holy Spirit inside of me, empowered me by his Spirit, and gave me a whole new life. That's grace. I came in from the east. I was born and raised in Butler. That's east of us. <laughs> Some of you came in from the west. Some from the north, some from the south, but God brought us from outside in the dark world, brought us into the kingdom. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. That's something to celebrate. That's something to pass on to the next generation. That's something to keep, to keep, keep throwing the line out east. Keep throwing the line out west. Because God's going to keep bringing them in. And then the story closes in verse 13. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. At that moment. When Jesus said it, not when he asked it. When Jesus declared it, when it came out of his mouth, the word of God is life. That's why we're reading this story. We want to see what did Jesus say? What was the context in which Jesus said it? So that it can speak to us. Now in the time we have left, I want to share three concepts, kingdom concepts we get from this story about authority. Here's number one, if you want to fill in this blank. The Father, the Father establishes all worldly authority. Listen to this in Romans 13.1. Obey the rulers who have authority over you. That would be like the president, the governor, the police officers. Only God can give authority to anyone. And he puts these rulers in their places of power. That is troublesome. It's troublesome because what do I do? with Adolf Hitler? What do I do with Joseph Stalin? Paul Pot? You can go right on down the line. There's always been despots. There's always been tyrants. There have always been people who are all about themselves wanting to climb up the ladder over whoever, whoever and whatever the cost to get to the top to take care of themselves. Always been that on planet Earth. 
I got a pretty good idea then that until Jesus comes back, there's, it's always going to be that way. There's always going to be bullies out there that dominate other people. So how the scripture just said that God puts them in their places of power. I don't understand that. That confuses me. Thank you. Am I on? Am I on? I'm not on. Testing, testing, testing. <laughs> hey, the clock, the clock's ticking. I got to keep going until I get this fixed. <laughs> it all goes, there we go. Am I back on my, okay. We do know what we're doing around here. <laughs> It goes back to this, where God first gave authority to our ancestors, Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It's not up on the screen, so I'm going to read it for you. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The King James Version says, take dominion over all the earth. Another form of domain, dominion. Take charge. Grab it. Move it the way you want it to move. Take charge of the world. That is authority. God delegated the authority that he had as creator to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had an encounter with the serpent. And remember who the serpent was? Was Satan. And Adam and Eve relinquished the authority God had given them and they passed it off to Satan. And that's why he's called the God of this world. Sin followed the giving of authority, which caused the authority that we humans have to be passed off to the enemy. That's bad news. So the Father establishes all worldly authority, but God gave it to us, and we passed it off to a spiritual deceiver who causes all kinds of havoc in your life and mine. Which takes us to point number two, because I'm not going to leave us there. Even if my mic goes off, I'm not going to leave us there. <laughs> point number two, Jesus is the exalted hub of all authority. Of all authority, he's the hub. He's the network. He's the, what do you call that in computer language? Everything comes out of that. I don't know. You come up with it. He's the center of all authority. Matthew chapter 28, 18, Jesus said it like this. Jesus came to them and said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. We have been given all authority on earth. We passed it off. Our ancestors passed it off, which leaves us in a, in a, in a mess. But Jesus said, I have been given 
It's a new start. It's a new beginning. This man has authority not only over the earth, but over heaven as well. He's the mediator. He's the link between this world and the next. And at his name, every knee shall bow. Everything on the earth, everything under the earth, everything over the earth. We've got to come back to Jesus. We've got to bow the knee. He's the hub of all authority, and I desperately need it, and it's only going to come through him. Amen. I've got an illustration. I'm going to read it. True story. When Jimmy Carter was president of the United States, his daughter Amy brought a homework assignment home one Friday night. Stumped by a question on the Industrial Revolution, Amy sought help from her mother. Rosalind was also fogged by the question and in turn asked an aide to seek clarification from the Labor Department. A rush was placed on the request since the assignment was due Monday. Thinking the question was a serious request from the president himself, a Labor Department official immediately cranked up the government computer and kept up a full team of technicians and programmers working overtime all weekend at a reported cost of several hundred thousand dollars. The massive computer printout was finally delivered by truck to the White House on Sunday afternoon, and Amy showed up in class with the official answer the following day. It's amazing what authority a person can have when we are acting under the authority of one higher than ourselves. By the way, I read elsewhere Amy got a C on that assignment. <laughs> Your tax dollars at work. She was, she got it done because the power of her father. You and I can get things done because of the power of our father. But we have to stay in connection with our father. We have to be under his authority because he's got everything we need. We just need connection with it, access to it. So the Father establishes all worldly authority. Jesus is the exalted hub of all authority. And number three, the Holy Spirit empowers believers. Are you a believer? Then the Spirit of God wants to empower you to help you do what God's called you to do. To help you accomplish what he set before us. I'm getting this from Luke chapter 10, verses 17, 18, and 19. <clears throat> Jesus had appointed 72 elders that he specially trained and equipped, and he prayed for them and sent them out to be witnesses in their community. And it says here, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Now he's not talking about snakes and scorpions. We all come together, we'll get the rattlesnake and we'll pass that thing around. He's not talking about handling snakes at all. 
He's illustrating overcoming all the power of the enemy, who is Satan. He wants us to overwhelm the enemy, to undo the works of Satan in our life. We've all been victims of the work of Satan, trying to pull the plug on our confidence, trying to destroy our faith, destroy our marriages, destroy our our businesses. We've all had that experience from Satan. Jesus comes to undo what he did. In other words, to restore, to redeem, to put back together. To bring us up from the bottom, to put us on the top. So that we'll no longer be called the tail, but we'll be called the head. He comes to do this in our lives. When he was training these disciples and launching them, in, uh, in Luke chapter 10, if we go back up to verse 9, uh, he says, whenever you, whenever you come upon someone, whenever you're going to talk to them, say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Have you ever even thought of using terminology like that when you're talking to somebody? Have you ever said, you know, I believe the Lord's drawing close to you. I, f- I feel like the Lord's trying to do something in your life. Just bring God into the conversation. Some way, somehow, bring God into the conversation. That's the Lord, that's the kingdom of God coming close to them. Because you're the kingdom of God. We are the kingdom of God. Several years ago, I was in my office on work day, working... And I got this phone call from somebody. I don't remember who it was. It was a woman, but I don't remember who. It might have been someone here. I can't remember. But somebody called me up and said that they had a police scanner on, and they heard that there were two four-year-old girls that were missing in Waterloo. And, and the fire department, police department, everybody was out trying to find them. And I said, I hadn't heard that. Thank you. And we agreed in prayer on the phone. And I hung up, and I immediately went right back to whatever I was doing. A couple minutes later, Carrie in the office buzzed me, and she asked if I had heard about these two four-year-old girls that were missing. And I thanked her, and I said, yes, I'd heard, and I I had prayed. And I hung up. As soon as I hung the phone up, I felt something rise up inside of me, that said, oh, no, you're not. And I remember taking my hand, slapping it down on my desk, and I said, not in my town. Satan, you take your hands off those little girls. You release them. They will not be harmed in the name of Jesus. A couple minutes later, Carrie buzzed me back and said she just found out that on the scanner they had found the little girls lost in a cornfield down here by the trailer park. Safe and sound. I believe there are times when that kind of holy boldness rises up in us and we need to do something with it. We need to take some kind of action. And I have authority. I I have to believe I have authority to pray for things like that. Take authority over Satan, the powers of darkness. I have to believe that I can take authority over that because I am under his authority. If I'm not under his authority, I can yell and scream and bang, bang on my desk all I want. Nothing's going to happen. It's in the name of Jesus we have authority. Yes. 
So I bring that back to us because there may be some things you're dealing with in your personal life and you feel like you have no power over it. You feel like you're at the, at the mercy of whatever comes your way, whatever, who, who, whoever else is out there manipulating the finances or manipulating whatever. You feel like you can't do anything about it. You have power in the name of Jesus. You have power to accomplish what he sets before you. You have power to get your prayers answered. But it comes back to that authority thing that amazed Jesus. That a Gentile, not a part of the covenant, a Gentile would say, I am under authority and I tell these soldiers to go and do that because I'm under authority. So I want us to keep thinking about that because Satan wants us to forget it. Satan wants us to think, well, that was in the superstitious days when the Bible was written, but, but education has taught us more these days. Yes. It's for today, church. Yes, it is. And it only works if you believe it and you embrace it. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I pray right now for my brothers and sisters. For Father, we all struggle with faith. We say we believe, but when we're, when we're in crisis, it's hard to believe. It's hard, it's, hard, it's hard to act like you're there when we can't see you, God. So Father, we just want to pray together that you will help us get this concept of kingdom authority, the authority that we have in Jesus Christ, not in us, but in Jesus Christ. Help us to see ourselves as children of the King. We've been adopted into the family that makes us children of the King. And the King watches out for his kids. We have a special relationship with the King because we are his kids. So Father, help us to see that, perceive that, believe that, act on that. Because we want to have the power of God in our lives. So God, do a great and mighty thing in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody say it. Amen. God is good. You know what amen means, by the way? It means I agree. I agree. Go with God. He loves you. I'm going to be down in the after party. Come see me.